Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Patrick Darty, joined today by Kyle Dvorak and Eric Froton, where we, we will be digging into some NFL draft talk. I always put one tongue twister in there for absolutely no reason. Where we will always trips me up. Uh, and I wanted to hit the Dvorak hard because we were talking about the pronunciation before we started the show. It's Dvorak, right, Kyle? Right? It's more like an E. It's like an E-K. Oh, you gosh. pronounce like I-C-K and it's like E-E-K, but like... I don't really care. So it's Dvorak? Dvorak? Yeah. All right. Kyle Dvorak. The thing is, I'm pretty sure we've we've done this. I think we've done this conversation on air before. Have we? About once a month, probably. (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) well, I should should start changing it. I should start being like, no, it's actually Dvorak. You really slammed the A. And you'd be like, are you you (laughs) sure that? It's my name. I know how to pronounce my name, Uh, but I'll do it different every time. Well, you are the Bill Belichick. You're the Bill Belichick of DFS, be it USFL or NFL. So you can kind of play that up, Kyle. That's true. He is the Bill Belichick. He's taking down some MLB GPPs, some oh, yeah. NHL GPPs. He's the he's the GPP master. Sure. I mean, God only I knows. I would have loved for them to have canceled the last uh, USFL game. That was <laughs> DraftKings had a rough weekend, man. They had a rough weekend with USFL. And USFL kind of also had a rough weekend not getting to play their final game. Uh, yeah, it's pretty. And uh, Paxton Lynch, I heard, was just uh, really wowing the NFL scouts in attendance at the Michigan Panthers game. And yeah, he's going to be getting a second chance when, any day now. Those things happen. All right. When you sub you can't in expect for all Patterson. of the times. <laughs> Shea Patterson. Uh, like, there was Paxton some good Lynch. stuff. The camera work. I, there were some drone shots that made me a little like seasick. There was also one. It was on, I believe it was on the Shea Patterson fumble six. The drone shot on that one was awesome it was steady it flowed nicely i would kill for that in the nfl that was actually like my highlight of the weekend it was also one of the funniest plays of the weekend the drone shot on the shea patterson fumble six is one of the more dystopian uh, football sentences no no that's utopian that's how that's (laughs) i'm pretty sure in the spirit of easter that was somewhere in the bible something about yield shea patterson fumble sixing it in the hands of the lord well, yeah, on this Easter Monday, we're going to be looking at some of the teams with the most to gain or lose in next week's annual extravaganza before checking in on the top of the wide receiver board, checking in just on the top of the board in general, where no one knows what's going to happen still, which seems a little strange since the draft is in 10 days. We're going to check in on the Falcons quarterback odds, discuss the latest on Ole Miss's Matt Corral, because I wanted to talk about him for some reason, and whether the Bills might still be in the market for a first-round running back, but... Before we got into that real quick, we were already kind of riffing on the USFL where Paxton Lynch just kind of made made my life. Um, you know, playing for Jeff Fisher, too. I mean, it's hard to think of a, a more miserable pairing, except for maybe perhaps the Panthers and Baker Mayfield. Am I right? Uh, was it Robbie Anderson who said, like, literally, don't. Can we please not do yeah. that? And, like, that's a pretty good chance it happens. Yeah, so, like, if I don't know. So I was just going to like, what do we even think of that potential pairing other than it's the worst thing in the world. I mean, Kyle, could he beat? Would he beat out Sam Darnold for sure? I mean, obviously, right? I mean, as, yeah. as, as low as Baker Mayfield has fallen, he is still uh, clearly better than Sam Darnold, correct? Yeah, to me, Baker Mayfield looks like a guy who is good enough to make the playoffs every few years when things go well, 
Sam Darnold is a complete anchor. Like you are not pushing forward with him. Baker Mayfield, I think, is still an okay quarterback, but okay just doesn't cut it right now. We're not even close to the days of okay quarterback play being what you need. Sam Darnold is rungs and rungs below that. So, I mean, I would assume, barring like uh, the team just not liking him, like he would totally beat out Sam Darnold. The the cap situation wouldn't make a ton of sense. You have to have the Browns take on some amount of, I believe, it's like an eighteen million hit. Because they did what exactly happened with Sam Darnold, where they pick up his fifth-year option. I don't want to say too early, because the fifth-year option is also an advantage. If you can get cheap quarterback play for even one more year, it's really nice to have. Sam Darnold, I will say, was definitely too early. He shouldn't have picked up his fifth-year option. I understand there was glimmers of hope to do it with Baker Mayfield, but now it makes it difficult for other teams to pick him up. So I still think he'd beat out Sam Darnold. I think he'd be better for the offense. So I think it'd be a terrible long-term thing. It's the exact same thing they just did with Sam Darnold. It's the exact same thing, except a slight upgrade, but you're probably going to have to pay a little more, at least the same for that. And it failed miserably the first time. Bro, time. this wasn't on the agenda because it's such what? a just an awful question. But if they, the Panthers got a quarterback at six, so they traded down and got a quarterback. Would that quarterback for sure start over Baker Mayfield? I'm, I'm making about eight different leaps in logic here. If they trade for Baker yeah. Mayfield, they're not. Uh, they will not be taking a quarterback. That you is think very so. You, you do 100%. think so? There's no reason. I, I to agree. Trade. Yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah. So for a time, so why why would that not be happening? Well, because first, this actually has a little bit of college football relevance. So I'm happy to take this question, Pat. Uh, Matt Rule, the coach, head coach, obviously for the Carolina Panthers on the proverbial hot seat, potentially, you know, I think there's fair to speculate on that. And he actually recruited Kenny Pickett when he was the head coach of Temple before Kenny ended up going over to Pitt. (laughs) So if we're looking at the difference between Baker Mayfield and if we're going to be taking Kenny Pickett at six, no way, no way. That's not happening. They're not taking Kenny Pickett there. And with, Malik Willis, I think it makes sense for Rule because he is on the hot seat. You need somebody who can play right away, and you can't really expect Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis to step in and be able to lead a team to the playoffs in their first year. I don't think that's really a realistic goal. So that's why I think this is this is Matt Rule feeling the heat on this the Baker Mayfield situation. So I don't see any reason why he'd actually go and double down on QBs. He needs players now. Froton, if they don't acquire Baker Mayfield and they did say they wanted to trade down for his boy Kenny Pickett, like – where would even be a realistic range to do that where it's like not embarrassing, basically? Because uh, I mean, it seems like a lot of smoke they want to trend embarrassing. Forty-five to fifty. I would say you know the, the mid-teens, you know the mid to late teens. I actually have a ticket on him, like plus four hundred. Can he pick it to go to the Saints? Because I'm thinking they use one of those picks, you know, on a quarterback, and I'm I'm speculating they're a, they're a dome team, so his little baby hands won't come into play. <laughs> As oh, we've dude. heard all about this offseason. So what's uh I, I like him to the Saints. That's that's my call. I see the mid to late teens. Hey, was it, didn't we have a blurb, Kyle, connecting him to the Saints? Like a New Orleans uh columnist was saying that was a thing. Am I imagining this? No, it sounds right. I mean, it's fair for the Saints to be doing their due diligence. Like they didn't give Jameis Winston a contract that signifies he's the long-term answer. They've been clear that Taysom Hill is now going to move back to tight end or I don't back move back to whatever he's doing that is yeah, I don't know what the nomenclature related. should be there back to whatever it is he does <laughs> back to that thing that thing he do <laughs> uh so they don't and, and it's not like Ian book like I know we only saw what like one game but like he, he's not also not the no, answer no so the they should be no doing their due diligence yeah yeah they should yeah. be doing their due diligence and the speculation was that the trade to acquire uh the extra first round pick this year was sort of an amassing of assets to move up you know it'd be awesome I think this would be like the perfect uh fit is if say you know the Saints don't uh end up taking quarterback or at least you wouldn't know this at the time but just have uh pittsburgh and carolina flip because pittsburgh clearly wants malik willis right they are just dying to get malik willis and that's the spot really where the panthers pick where you really start to think if he hadn't gone if he doesn't go to detroit that's the next spot and the panthers are a team that they need uh they need just more assets they're not a team that is stacked to the teeth on defense like you know that the steelers are and they don't even have like maybe not even the weapons that the steelers have as well so they would get assets and they could still maybe take a quarterback and then the steelers go up and, and pay up to get their guy which is very obviously malik willis i don't think teams would do that swap and i even hate to say it like I kind of think that if the Panthers want Kenny Pickett, they're like, if you want a quarterback in the NFL, a first round, probably top 15 quarterback, you don't at least trade back. Maybe you wait and let him fall into your lap a la Mac Jones, but you don't trade back with the intention of taking your favorite quarterback as you move back if he is their favorite quarterback. So, I mean, I, I think it would be wrong, right? I don't think you should take Kenny Pickett with the number six pick, but even Dane Brugler's latest mock at the Athletic also had him going number six to the Carolina Panthers. So 
I think they just take him at six, uh, most likely, even if I don't think that's the right answer. Regarding Malik Willis, just a, a quick aside on him. He's minus 380 on the books to go top 10. So if you intend to get him and you're going to drop too far, you got to know that the odds are stacked against you if you're going out of that top 10 range. And you got Seattle at nine, you know, who could possibly try to evoke Russell Wilson memories out of him for the fan base. So let's say real quick, the Panthers, they acquire Baker Mayfield. They don't take a quarterback. Froton, just off the top of your head with as little thought as possible, which college team is Matt Rule coaching in 2023? (laughs) Oh, jeez. None of us okay. knew where the question uh, was going. We were like, oh, Froton's going to have to yeah. fantasy stuff. And then we were like, oh, it's a perfect setup. <laughs> Matt Rule. I'm guessing he's going G5. Okay, that, that's going to be my call. Uh, I do think, even though it's G5, he probably could get an AAC gig, right? Because he's a former coach of Temple. He knows the conference. Uh, but I think he'll be a little higher. I think Luke Fickle, uh, he, had, he just signed a new contract at Cincinnati. That, that would have been a great option. But it looked Looks like Pickle wants to stick around. He likes the Rust Belt. So I will say AAC team that is struggling, could use a coach a little bit down. You know what? Could go right back to Temple. Temple's been hurting, hurting since Rod Carey left and that rule. So I see a rekindling. That's what I, I have no I have no idea what the, the BC coaching status is. I've, he seems like a Boston College guy to me, Matt Rule. Or oh, I think he's excellent. Gonna- Jeff Halfley. He's yeah. he's good to go. He the only way he's going is if he goes he he trades up. Uh, he's so he trades excellent. up. Rule goes there, or I, he spends a year on James Franklin's staff at Penn State. With an, with as he's like kind of resetting and getting back into the college. Game. Rehabs his image a little bit, gets into yeah. the college flow. Yeah, so yeah, Bill Ryan style. Exactly. I didn't mean to spend ten minutes talking about Matt Rule. And Baker Mayfield, but these things happen. Panthers are like one of the most interesting teams in the draft. That, uh, they are. Spot, yep. Right, or eight mm-hmm. or six or whatever. Uh, is like, I, I think, six spot. Yeah, it's uh, really like quarterback central, trade back central. And for other teams, that means trade up central. Uh, you know, they could even just go like offensive linemen or something. So they have a lot of spots to fill. I think they're like one of the more fun teams to, to look at. So I, I get it. I get it. The other option to begin with, too, is this James O'Shaughnessy talk, which we did. Proton <laughs> wasn't party to that, but... We talked a lot about James O'Shaughnessy on the podcast last season, and I some like may say too much. You guys are, yeah. You, you can do you can do anything, Pat. You, you're so versatile. Some may say we talked about him four thousand percent too often in 2021, but those people <laughs> would be wrong. We thought we would begin today's show with a bit of a thought experiment, checking on in on the teams with the most to gain or lose in the first round, kind of by ten pick increments. So one to ten, eleven to twenty, twenty-one to thirty-two. I think we might end up focusing on teams with the most to gain. And there's just a lot of those teams this year with so many teams possessing multiple first round picks and just as many absent on day one altogether. I don't know if I've ever seen this like, like a concentration of picks day one picks and like so many teams, like just so many teams out and so many teams with two or three, it's really, really crazy. And the range of potential outcomes has just kind of never been greater. And Kyle, I will begin with you. In the top 10, where the Jets are one of those teams, they have picks four and 10. Sorry if you didn't want to begin talking with the Jets. I, I was led to believe maybe you wanted to talk about the Jets. So, <laughs> do you think, the, do the Jets have the most to gain in the top 10, in your opinion, in this draft? Yeah, I think the Jets, uh, like there are a lot of, or at least some teams, especially with more teams having multiple picks, a ton of teams having multiple picks, are set up perfectly to take exactly what they need, both with their four and 10. I also think that it's a little risky, right? Because we're getting a little buzz that they may go wide receiver with that four pick. And I think the wide receiver class is really good. Do I think it has a player worth the number four overall pick? I would say probably not. That seems like a bit of a stretch. And I think the theory that has been cropping up is that we see these massive contracts. Your Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, Christian Kirk, all the greats getting their big contracts. Is that the four-year rookie deal, even if it's the number four pick, the four-year rookie deal plus the fifth-year option, then really the first chance to negotiate the next contract with that player is so valuable at the receiver position specifically because it's becoming such an expensive position that even if you don't get Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson at number four for the Jets, well, it's worth it because you get that cheap deal for maybe not a top five receiver, but a top 15 or 20 receiver if you think someone's worth it there at four. I think that's the rationale. I still don't think it meets quite the tipping point of really reaching on someone. I think Jamison Williams is someone who people are really excited about. I think he'd be awesome, but I think him... Drake London, Garrett Wilson would all be great picks for the Jets at 10. And I think they're really one of the only teams that have gotten a ton of buzz inside that top eight. Maybe the Falcons would be the next spot where you'd look at receiver. 
I think taking a receiver at 10, best receiver available, makes so much sense. There will at least be one number one receiver for a team. If not two, maybe they get their choice between you and Drake London and Garrett Wilson. A number one receiver for them to take at 10. And then if they don't think like, I know there's like some rumblings, they just like don't want to work with Mekhi Becton anymore. Take a different tackle, play George Fan, or take an edge rusher with all great options at number four, whether it be like Iki Kwanu, even Evan Neal, or take an edge rusher. Either way, they have a great pick at number four player that makes more sense than receiver and then just take the receiver at 10. And I think if they play it smart, that's how things line up. That's exactly the needs they need to be fit. For me, as far as, you know, player fits and things of that nature, when I'm looking at the number four, if you're going through the mocks and you're going through the trends, especially in the the New York press, uh, it's either Kayvon Thibodeau or it's Ahmad Gardner. And in the beginning, you know, it, it's, it's signaled a shift because when the offseason process started, it was almost universally stingly going forward in the Jets. And then, you know, the, the the nitpicking starts coming on Stingley. You know, he had a great 2019. Honestly, a generational. There's that word again. 2019, when he was a true freshman, you know, with one of the greatest teams we'll ever see in the history of college. But 2020 and 2021, we saw inconsistency. Uh, you know, we saw injury issues, obviously. And I think that's kind of uh, seeped into people's minds saying, you know what, there's still, there's a lot more questions about Stingley, you know, because of those last few years. And there are with Ahmad Gardner, who's a guy who didn't allow a single touchdown in coverage, you know, trademark. Everyone has to say that about Ahmad Gardner all year. And then you got Thibodeau where this is the best position that you're going to find in this draft class is the edge. It's extremely deep. It goes about 15 deep in terms of guys that I'd be totally comfortable with trotting out, at least in a rotational manner, uh, in their first year, second year, you know, so when you have all that kind of talent, you want to get your guy up there and all the, you know, the jet press, um, you know, you see the post, everything, the New York papers, it's one of those two with the 10th pick. It's again, I mean, you're seeing a lot of the wide receivers. All right. Drake London and Wilson are probably the two most common that you've seen there, but Jameson Williams is also sneaking in there too. And with Jameson, the interesting thing about him Two weeks ago, exactly two weeks ago, I know because I bet him, he was plus 1,500 to go in the top 10. As it sits right now, he's plus 180 at points bet to go in the top 10. That's as big a rise as we've seen out of anybody other than maybe Trayvon Walker, you know, to be the number one pick. He was plus 2,000. That's just a precipitous rise. So I see him, you know, rising like that. Obviously, Garrett Wilson and Drake London, their over-unders are 10 and a half. So they're right on that line as well. It seems like the markets are saying, we think one of these guys is going to go. You see Garrett Wilson possibly going to Atlanta. That's a popular pick. And the Jets, uh, I think it'll be one of those two guys. My gut's telling me, because of their current roster composition, Elijah Moore, excellent, you know, smaller receiver. I I loved him at Ole Miss. Thought they got a great deal with him in the second round. He's locked into, a you know, that slot spot. And he can flex him wide if need occasionally. Um, Obviously, Michael Carley went picked up and Zach Wilson. So, They've got those three elements, at least, to, you know, the the skill positions. It makes all the sense in the world that they would try to go big and have a little bit of everything uh, with that receiver room. Yeah, I just think that I too, I just think even though like the Jets finally have like the makings of a decent receiver core, and this isn't exactly the same group that was around when Sam Darnold failed you just feel like after witnessing the failure of Sam Darnold, like, and uh, uh, you know, it's probably Sam Darnold's fault when it really boiled down to it, but they didn't make it any easier for him with the lack of weapons, the offensive line questions. I do think receiver is just, you know, it makes almost too much sense for them. And, but so you mentioned like wanting to go big for Oton. I feel like Garrett Wilson is the guy I'm seeing most commonly mocked to the Jets, or like, I'm most commonly mocked as the first receiver off the board. I've seen him First commonly mocked yes. to the Jets. But that doesn't mean the Jets. Yeah, yeah, and yeah he's, it could be the Jets. Garrett Wilson, correct me if I'm wrong, he's not large. Pers- correct? <laughs> uh, he's not large. I personally right? think it's going to be Atlanta. Sorry. Yes. It's okay. <laughs> oh, Garrett Wilson? No, he's, uh, you know, not 185, large. 188, six foot even. Yeah, not not large. No. He'd be Davis large maybe for the Roto World podcast, but not really that large to be. I mean, he's not small at all. <laughs> I'm not trying to say at all that he's small, but yeah, that wouldn't be like the large compliment you were maybe building up. So for, I'll just ask you that for, is Garrett Wilson, do you think he'll be the first receiver off the board? I do think he'll be the first receiver on the board. He is my personal number two. I like Jameson Williams is the one. I think he's 
Uh, just the com- most complete receiver. Like I said, 6'3", 195. He didn't run because obviously he tore his ACL, but that's like pitchers get having Tommy John nowadays. He's expected to be back after about four weeks. That isn't enough to knock me off of thinking he's number one. I love his second level speed. He accelerates. The thing about Jameson for me is he beats people when the ball is in the air. He accelerates and he's still beating. He's still winning. And then when he gets the ball in mostly, you know, it's funny. Most of his catches come across the middle. They like to get him in space so that he can weave. And then when he has the ball in his hands on the second level, he can accelerate past people and make big plays. So I love that aspect of him that he can he can hit the home run in multiple facets. And he's got the Jets, too. I think he's, you know, a sub 4-4 guy when he finally gets out there. So that would be my preference. Do you agree, Kyle? Was Garrett Wilson, uh, I mean, do you think he'll be the first receiver off the board? I mean, I, it seems like it's coalescing around him, or I wasn't really sure where it was going to coalesce this spring. But 10 days before the draft, it does feel like it's going to be Garrett Wilson, correct? Yeah, I think it's Garrett Wilson. I do think it's an interesting argument for James, Jameson Williams just having like a larger standard deviation where teams, if they see like his speed, his ability to win deep, and they think he can also do that at all levels of the field, which he definitely potentially can – that's why you could see him go to that number four pick of the Jets, where I think Garrett Wilson's distribution is more tightly grouped around that like eight to 12 band. I don't think he really has any shot at going top five, whereas like Jameson Williams, you could see it. There's really something special about him, but there's also teams that could just view him as like, oh, he's fancy Mark has about a scantling, right? Just the guy who's long, he can stretch deep, but he doesn't do everything you want on you know the short parts of the field. So I think Jameson Williams is like a good long shot to go top five, top 10, whereas Garrett Wilson is like I, probably the safest wide receiver in the draft because he can win inside, win outside, really does everything. The only thing he lacks on is like size, but he doesn't play like a small dude. So I think Garrett Wilson, I have him right now. I think... Man, the Falcons really need a wide receiver. They also need so many things where the Jets like are also not that great of a team. But so much of that just stems from them having bad quarterback play last year that it masked the fact that they, they had some talent in other positions. Wide receiver, though, if they want to help improve that quarterback play is the most obvious fit that they like. I think they are so much more likely to take any wide receiver at their four and 10 than the Falcons are. Cause like the Falcons, you can make an argument for just about any position for this poor team. So yeah, I have them taking the first wide receiver at 10. I could see them taking the Falcons taking the first wide receiver at eight. And both times I think it's Garrett Wilson. I can't decide if fancy Marcos Valdez scaling is a good thing or not. If you think he is, you take that guy like really fancy, really fancy. It's probably take a good him thing. at 20, 21 or 17 or something. You know, you could see the Chargers taking him. He'd be cool fit for the, like the Chargers at what, 17 or whatever. But if you think he does more than that, then you take him as high as top 10. Froton, any bows you want to put on this conversation? Yeah, uh, just based on what Kyle was saying in terms of the many needs of the Atlanta Falcons, the three most popular guys that have been mocked. Um, according to the, the NFL mock draft database, who has over a thousand different mocks loaded in 15% uh, Garrett Wilson, 10% of the mocks have it being Kyle Hamilton and 7% have it being George Karloftis. So it's a potpourri blend. And then you can obviously throw in QB that they need in there too, uh, which is obviously a possibility always, but that's uh that's the popular choices at this point. They just need to take a combination punter kicker, and you know, trade Young Waku for two or three firsts, uh, begin the rebuild that way. So I think the Falcons should approach it. Kyle, who has the most to gain or lose in the range of picks 11 to 20, the second third of the 2022 NFL draft? Yeah, I, we're not moving too far back because I think it's a really good spot to be in the draft. But number 13, the Texans, especially because another team that it's easy to gain a lot in the draft when you have multiple picks. But I also think the optionality of having multiple picks and having a bad roster gives you optionality too uh, is really great because at number three, they can either, I don't think the Lions have like any chance of taking a tackle. They're just taking the number two edge rusher or the number one and the number one falls to them somehow. Uh, they're taking edge rusher. That leaves them, if they want, they like Thibodeau, perfect. They take what could be the best edge rusher in the class at number three, then they go tackle later, maybe like a Charles Cross falls to them at 13, or they can flip it and take Icky at number three and then take potentially Carlottis or Jermaine Johnson at number 13. Really just having that one-two punch and the optionality of having both positions have a lot of depth at that top 15 spot is perfect for them. Or there's even some good defensive backs that can make it to them. If Kyle Hamilton keeps falling, he was like a common pick at number two, three, four. And the more we got into draft season, the more people kept saying, like, can you really justify taking the safety that high? It would be, you know, one of the highest picks in the past few decades for a safety. Keeps falling, keeps falling. Now he looks like, as as Froton mentioned, number eight could be a reasonable spot. But then you keep going. Maybe, well, Falcons have a lot of needs. They keep pushing. 
he'd be an incredible talent to get at something like number 13. Or maybe Stingley makes it to them if Sauce Gardner only makes it to, you know, eight or nine, something like that. There are a lot of, like, top one or two players at their respective positions. And they are often, maybe you can say safety doesn't fit this bill, but for the most part, they're also positions of importance in the NFL, right? Like I love Tyler Nabob, but you can't take him at like number five or whatever, because center just isn't that valuable, but wide receiver is offensive tackle is edges. And they are in a perfect spot at 13 to get any one of those needs. They're just going to be the cleanup crew, taking the best value at important positions at number 13 and kind of the same way at number three too. Real quick, Kyle, you asked Kyle Hamilton at eight. I say, how do you stop a for generational first round tight end with a generational first round safety? Uh, so the Falcons, maybe they should just make history back to back years and pair their Kyle Pitts pick the guy and just have like you know insane fights out on the practice field between those Kyle two dudes. Would like those would be good uh, like training camp uh, battles. You see some good <laughs> training camp battles between those two. So Froton, who might some fits be? For the Houston football Texans at 13, who have gone from having zero picks in the top 64 last year to two in the top 13. Who are some fits? What do you think they might do at 13? Sure. I think Kyle, I mean, pretty put it pretty succinctly there where I think they go offensive tackle at three. I, I think, you know, they can have their choice of Icky or Neil, you know, no problem. Both of them should be there considering all the smoke that's going on with the edge players. So at that point, again, best player on the board. I don't think Daryl Stingley gets past Minnesota at 12. I've heard so much, especially with, with our, our, you know, college uh, writers room with Tyler and Thor being Minnesota guys. I I think I've heard enough from them about the the (laughs) Vikings at this point, but you know, they're, they're, they would be very happy to get Daryl Stingley. Well, we'll just put it that way, but I think he's right on the money. You know, it's, it's a, as discussed, the generational edge class, you got 15 guys that I really, really like. Uh, I like Karloftis, absolutely. You have three, you know, it, it seems like Walker, Kayvon, and uh, obviously Hutch are going to be the top three. But then after that, it's just whichever one you like best. And, you know, when you remember the Reggie Bush year, you know, is it going to be Reggie Bush? No, it's going to be Mario Williams. So there is a historical precedent from a decade and a half ago or so whatever it is from uh, them leaning edge. But I think that that's, you know, if you're going to go with positional value, you need an edge defender. And both Carl Loftus and Jermaine Johnson uh, certainly have aptitude. You know, there's no doubt about that. Jermaine Johnson looked really good at the senior bowl, um, has real huge in terms of his athletic profile. He's in the 95th, 96th percentile of all edge rushers tested since 1987. That would be a fine choice. Uh, I personally would probably skew Carl Loftus a little bit. I just think he has so much power in his hands. And when he wants to get after you, like watch out. He's also a really good stout edge setter. Um, so all things being equal, I'd probably take Kyle Loftus, but either one is a fine choice. Froton, I just let you break down the Texans fit. But since you were tired of talking the Vikings, you said, I'll just say real quick, I think the fit for the Vikings is we're going to do some iron sharpens iron here. And we're going to get Kenny Pickett in there with Kirk Cousins and just have them go to oh. war with each other over the next two or three years and no, not trade Kirk cousins at all, but like have them just go to war on the practice field and make this a weekly competition for, uh, cause I've, I love so I've been told the there's similarities. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that's my pick for the Minnesota. But man, yeah, we are Roto world NBC sports edge. We've always been overrepresented by Minnesotans and St. Louisans I'll say. And uh, shouts to the St. Louis wing of this great, great website. Kyle, the final third, who has the most to lose in like the 21 to 32 range? And I think I know what you're going to go with. Something that's kind of obvious, but just needs to be talked about and something that needs to happen. Who has the most to gain or lose in the final third of the draft of the first round of the draft? Excuse me. Yeah, because we initially set this up as potential to lose as well. I think the Packers could be really doing something stupid. Uh, They have refused to really spend anything for weapons on Aaron Rodgers, and they will. They will this time. I am mostly confident in saying that. But when you look at their first first round pick, Dallas and then the Cardinals come right after them. And then teams taking receivers also come right before them. So they could be, if they want to be, right in the middle of a receiver run. That's perfect. As long as you can stuck at the end, that's perfectly fine. You take whoever you like. There are plenty of good receivers to take at that 20-ish range. But as you look at their second pick, you're starting to really get at the end of that run and maybe just completely cut off by it. Where like, 
Are you thinking about like, oh, Jahan Dodson? Well, I know like you look at his production profile, it's not quite as impressive as he wanted to be for a first round pick. Sky Moore, I love Sky Moore, I really do, but the market seemed to value him as a second round pick. Do you reach on someone like that? Same thing for Christian Watson, right? Plays it, I don't want to say such a low level, but not, you know, not power five, not even G5, plays out at the FCS level. Again, the market seemed to value him as like a second or third round pick. He's really gaining some steam as like a, a tier one, two guy or like a, a round one, two guy. But if you get cut off from the probably elite or at least elite prospect receivers, uh, the Packers would be in a really bad spot not taking receiver with their first of their picks. Frankly, I think she, they should take with both first and second picks because they have so much to fill, not just with losing Devontae Adams, which is maybe the biggest hole at uh, receiver you could possibly have if you think he's the best receiver, but also Marcus Valdez-Cantling, who's really efficient for the team, just didn't get a ton of uh, like raw production because you have Devontae Adams. You just throw it to him all the time, and that's fine. When they did throw it to MBS, it was really productive. So they have so much of a hole to fill that I think they can gain a lot by either starting or at least picking in the middle of the receiver run, and they run a really bad risk of not taking a receiver with that first pick, which they, they could do. I could totally see them doing that. And if they don't take a receiver and get cut off and are forced to take like John Dodson, Christian Watson, who I think are good prospects, but there is a very big tier gap from then going ahead. Like Aaron Rodgers might just combust in, in his seat, just <laughs> watching the draft, just catch on fire. Froton, before I throw to you on the fits, I think Kyle made a pretty important point there where, I, do, I think Devonta Adams is harder to replace for the Packers than Tyreek Hill is for the Chiefs. And we focus so much on the Devonta Adams loss that the MVS loss, like he was a role player in Green Bay, but it was such an important role as the clear out guy, the downfield guy that helped clear space for like the intermediate dominator, like Devonta Adams and their offense kind of was sometimes dysfunctional when MVS didn't play. So it, it is important to remember not to just only focus on the Devonta Adams loss, but so, I mean, we've probably had this talk on the Pius before, but yeah, who are some fits, Mr. Froton, for the Green Bay Packers at wide receiver? Well, you know, in that range, if they decide to issue wide receiver on the first pick, I, I think they're tempting fate, you know, because I think you're going to have at least the top five guys out. I, I like George Pickens a lot at six, but I don't think, as you mentioned, you know, they're losing Devontae Adams, who's a technician, you know, clean routes all over the place. So, so crafty. That's not kind of what George Pickens does. He's more of, you know, the deep thread. He uh, high points balls, clean hands, really nice. Um, has that 4-4-7 speed even after the ACL coming back. So I don't think that's fit. I think if Chris Olave is there, which his over-under is about 17 and a half right now, that would be an absolute slam dunk. I think you, you just have to take him. I don't think there's any way around it. Um, and Traylon Burks would be probably my second choice. Um, again, you know, they at Arkansas, they use him in a lot of different ways. You know, 68% of the time using the slot, but he's also coming and, and doing jet sweeps. They're getting even like a pitch or two here or there. Um, he wins downfield. In his last two years, he caught 20 of 30 downfield passes, you know, uh, 20 yards or more, which is just simply astounding. I mean, if you get a chance to, uh, you know, have somebody with that sort of skill set, you want him. Is he the route technician that you want him to be? No, he's a big receiver but I do like him as a fit better than I like George Pickens just in that sense because I just feel like you got a little more upside with Traylon Burks but my number one option certainly would be Chris Olave in that spot I feel like he would be that just it would be a seamless transition from uh from Adams to him in terms of stylistic of play yeah it's yeah it just makes so much sense that you just feel like it's not going to happen and that, like, Brian Gutekunst just, like, has some, like, mental block where, like, he can't do the right thing. But it it's might not be the right thing. This draft. It might truly be the only thing. And I, I don't even understand how they would go on as a franchise if they don't come away with the first round wide <laughs> as, as a fake shareholder, I would be very mad with one of their fake <laughs> Green Bay stock tickets. Man, it's uh, real quick, too. As a put a bow on this conversation, who... Who who are we most confident comes away from day one with another with a first round receiver, Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers? Both real options, but are we truly most confident Aaron Rodgers is the most likely of our two wide receiver needy elite quarterbacks to get a wide receiver? Kyle? Yeah, I'd be pretty confident. Like the I, I think the Chiefs will at least try to convince themselves. I don't think they'll be successful, but convince themselves that MVS takes the deep stuff that Tyreek Hill leaves behind. Meikle Hardman, this awesome gadget player, finally gets unlocked and takes the short stuff, which became much more of a staple of their offense with teams running too high, the eight out of the offense compressing. We saw a lot more of that with Tyreek Hill. So use MVS 
going deep, use Mikkel Hardman on the short stuff, and then you can even replace some slot production with Juju Smith-Schuster. I don't think that would be optimal. I think they should be taking wide receiver with one of their two picks. I think they probably will, but they don't have the incredible void, sort of the swirling black hole of a gap at wide receiver, like we see with uh, like we see with the Packers, like I, I like you said, I think it's harder to replace the Devontae Adams stuff, and that doesn't even account for MVS, which is an important role player in their offense. So, and uh, like we didn't have, like they literally traded out the MVS to Kansas City specifically. So, I think uh, I think the Chiefs really need a receiver. Like you said, I don't see how the franchise continues existing <laughs> if the Packers don't take a receiver. You agree, Froton, Mister Dvorak? Uh, you know. Absolutely nailed it once again. I, I cannot argue with that at all. When it comes to the thing I have concerns about with Kansas City is, as you mentioned, you know, they got Valdez Scantling, who feels kind of redundant to, again, uh, Pickens, you know, and he's the guy that if he's there, I, I think is the best player on the board. So that means you're looking at sort of the second level of receivers uh, fully there. You know, do you go Jahan Dotson? He's 5'11, you know, even though he is a pretty good deep threat. Uh, he doesn't have the the wow athleticism that you really like to see. You got Christian Watson, who does have the wow athleticism. He played down a level at the FCS. His route running is extremely raw. You're gonna have to have some development with him. But for a guy who's six four and two eleven, like he did, he was almost like Cordero Patterson esque, but a little smaller. Cordell was like two twenty five, but they used him in myriad ways, uh, uh, sort of like as we talked about. With, uh, with Traylon Burks, he was sort of like the FCS version of it where he's getting jet sweeps, he's getting pitches, um, and he's he's taking some of those to the house, and he's looking good. He's got major speed. You saw him, he's in the four threes. So um, he's a guy who raw talent-wise certainly could appeal, but um, you know maybe a Sky Moore type opposite Valdez Scantling makes more sense for the strategy of their offense. Yeah, it is like that would be the perfect fit for the style they were forced to play last year. And it still wasn't a bad style. It wasn't like, oh, the Chiefs suck now. They have to throw short. No, they still do that super well. And Sky Moore would be like the perfect fit for sort of like, you know, playing playing inside the box, right? Playing in that short distance, get him the ball and let him elude defenders. That's, you know, some of the Tyreek Hill stuff. It's not all the Tyreek Hill stuff and it won't be replaced right away. But like he would be, I think he'd be a better fit at replacing the short to medium Tyreek Hill stuff than Meikle Hardman, who like, just can't really even draw targets when he gets on the field. I just don't think he's that great. Really, let him take some jet sweeps and return some punts and let Sky Moore take a bunch of targets, you know, short of 15 yards down the field. We will be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The 2022 MLB season is underway, and NBC Sports Edge is giving our listeners a special offer. Get 22% off an annual annual Edge Plus subscription when you use promo code BASIS22. Get expert insight and access to tools that would give you an edge against your competition at one low price. Go to NBCSportsEdge.com slash Edge Plus and use promo code BASIS22 at checkout to save big this season. Froton, we got a Froton specific, we got a Froton only question in here, basically. I mean, Kyle's going to weigh in, I'm sure. But <laughs> it just, just sounds like you know you can't get me to shut up, which also <laughs> no, I'm proving to you doing right now. <laughs> no, no, no. This was because, like, 
I mean, Kyle and I, I mean, listen, we play the fantasy football. Like, I, like we kind of try to care about, like, the edge players, quote-unquote, the tackles, quote-unquote. It's going to be heavy for that at the top of the draft if the Lions don't take Malik Willis. Uh, we're 10 days away from the first round of the draft. There's still, like, no real consensus, even on number one anymore, with the Jaguars and Aiden Hutchinson. And number, no one knows what the, the Lions are going to do at number two. We don't really know at all what the Texans are going to do at number three, like we talked about earlier. Just – Give us like kind of the latest lay of the land, like the way things appear to be trending in the top three picks in the draft. Well, absolutely. As we know, you know, as soon as the season ended, it was Kayvon Thibodeau, the popular pick as the number one. But as things, you know, the season rolled on, you know, the Sutterfuge begins and the games, you know, oh, you know, this. Oh, I don't know. He's, he's got his own crypto and okay. He's he wants That's to every player start a charter on. school. Yeah. But I mean, he wants to start a charter school and, South Central Los Angeles, what a horrible character person that is. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how I feel about people who want to try to help the community. Yeah, he's obviously <laughs> a bad person. So, um, you know, he started getting knocked down. And obviously, it's been the Aiden Hutchinson show. Uh, 39% of the mock drafts that have been done since the end of the year, and even more, you know, since the Combine, I would say, or at least the Senior Bowl, have had Hutchinson as the number one. Uh, he's minus 225 right now on points bet, but... Uh, on May, excuse me, on March 23rd, Trayvon Walker was plus 2,000 on Z Books to be the number one pick, right, from our friends in the desert. He's currently a plus 200 on points bet. That's as big a rise for anybody odds-wise in any position that we've seen all offseason, and it's only happened within the last month or so. This is, this is three weeks ago, you know, this really happened. We were at that ticket. Um, so it's been a meteoric rise. And the reason why is because Trayvon Walker is basically the most like a perfectly built human to be an edge defender. Thirty five and a half inch arms. He's practically an eagle human. It, it, that is as long as you're going to find that's top one percent. He's got almost 11 inch hands. I mean, huge. He's got just talons on him. And in terms of his relative athletic score, nine point nine nine. All right. So. 10 is the perfect human being prospect. That's perfect. He's 9.99. He's one of the top 10 defensive ends ever measured since 1987 to ever go through the combine process. So it gives you just a little bit of perspective. He's 272 pounds. He ran a 4.51. So, I mean, athletically, checking the boxes, pretty much the, the Georgia defense was just a show athletically at the combine anyway. So that is why he's up. But you look at his production – PFF, he didn't, they didn't have him above 70 for an overall defensive grade at any point in his career, in any season. So there's a great deal of projection when you're talking about Walker. But, man, a lot of the big guys in, in the, uh, you know, the industry, Brugler, Zerline, Jeremiah, all of them, they have him going one. And there's, they're saying that Trent Baalke is just, like, to use a wrestling reference that I love to do, he's basically the Vince McMahon of the NFL, where he looks at guys' bodies, he's like, oh, goddamn, pal, we got to get him in here. So <laughs> uh, that's kind of Trent Baalke's deal. That being said, I'm going Hutch. That's my personal call. I'll, I'll lay the two, minus 225. I think he's going to go there. I think – I mean, this is just a gut call, but there's, you know, some people I've spoken to, and I think there's – you know, you're going to hear some things. I think there's a little bit of smokescreen in this. I just get that feeling, you know, when everybody starts get, getting it late and they're being shoveled late info, I'm not buying it. I'm going Hutch at one. That's really interesting. But I, I, I would be lying. This is how my brain works. Ever since you mentioned Trayvon Walker's hand size, I just kept thinking of the joke. Well, so what you're saying is that he and Kenny Pickett should never shake hands because Kenny Pickett will just be vaporized <laughs> if he ever shakes yeah, hands. Just wrap right around Walker. it. Yeah. So you think it's still Hutch number one? I mean, who does that leave? What is your gut feel on number two? Is it Malik Willis, or is that is that a smoke screen? I mean, not that there's even a ton of smoke there necessarily, but there's not no smoke. What's your gut on number two, Froton? I'm a hard no on Malik Willis at two. Hard no. I don't think there's any way that that happens. You have enough quarterbacks that are in the relative same range in terms of evaluation that you can sit tight until number 32 and take whatever the best quarterback on the board is you perceive it to be. And then you still got another pick, two picks later, you know, second pick on the uh, the second day on Friday to go and address whatever other need you want. So I, I just think, you know, in terms of value, 
Uh, the over-under for quarterbacks being taken in the first round is two and a half. Whether, it, you know, it probably will go over because I do think Detroit will probably be the team to take that third QB. You probably get Pickett and Willis in whatever order in the top 20 picks or so. And then they'll just sit tight and, uh, and grab him. So I'm saying no, I'm Malik Willis. I think it's Thibodeau. You know, I, I'm kind of – I know I'm off the board there. He's plus 350. Trayvon Walker's plus 300 for it. I, uh, I think you see a fall. I, I, I don't – I think Thibodeau is the best edge defender in this class all around. He bends the edge better than anybody. He was more productive than Walker was in college. I understand the athletic traits, but, you know, but for Thibodeau as well, he's a 95th percentile athlete too. You know, he's, he's an incredible athlete. He was the number one prospect coming out of his high school class. And he proceeded to do nothing at Oregon except for go out there and cause havoc. Um, so, you know, testing-wise, he goes out, he ran a 4.58. He did the bench 27 times. Trayvon Walker didn't do the bench. You know, Aiden Hutchinson, I don't know if you saw his workout. I don't know why you would. I'm the only nerd who's doing that. But he did 28 benches, and it was at his pro day, and he had – he had the guy who was spotting him literally with his hands on the bar from like 15 through 28. And if anybody who's ever spent one second in a gym, you just no, don't do this that. this doesn't apply you to me. It do doesn't that. apply. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call you out there, Kyle. But, what, is, um, what is a gym? I, I think he's there. I think he's better. <laughs> how do you I say think, it? You say gym? It's yeah, I think it's a gym. I, thought it, I always thought it was gym. That's how I pronounced that word. Oh, um, uh, well. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough, gentlemen. But yeah, it's uh, I uh, I like Thibodeau at plus 350. I'm kind of outside the box on that. And then at number three, I think we get uh, one of the offensive linemen. You know, it's Equanu plus 190, Niels plus 300, both of them on the board. Obviously, we had Neil in the beginning. Uh, he was him and Thibodeau were pretty much the ones fighting for the number one. Then it became Hutch. Uh, I think whichever their preference is where they go. But it could be tough to pass up on Trayvon Walker uh, with his athleticism. He's plus fit 500 to go three. I think that would be that'd be awesome. I, I think he goes three. And, fr- and frankly, you've seen a couple of the very recent mocks that have, you know, uh, I think Ryan Wilson for CBS have backed off of Walker in that one spot, and they have him at the three. I think he's a better fit at three than he is at two. That plus 500 is enticing. So Kyle, I said this is a Froton only question, but so we got Froton's kind of like talent evaluator feel and it's kind of not that that's the only thing you're basing it on for one and two. We got Froton's feel for one and two. Just quickly, so I mean, a, a big part of being a blurber at MEC Sports isn't necessarily just the blurbs we post. It's just like all the hundreds of thousands of tweets we read. Does that align? What's like just the general sense just from reading all the tweets about num- who number one is right now? Just you know what I, I phrasing this question kind of strangely, but is it is it actually Trayvon Walker, or do you kind of get a smokescreen feel from Trayvon Walker at number one? Yeah, he does fit like like Trent Bulky loves. He's like great athletes, and he is a great athlete. But like, it'd be really difficult for me to think they pass on Aiden Hutchinson. And the books are the same way; they're having him minus two twenty five ish. It's still it's still trending towards it's trending more towards Trayvon Walker in the sense of Trayvon Walker even two weeks ago was like plus 300 now he's down to like plus 200 so it's still moving towards more of a split but it, it's not a 50-50 split just there's two guys doesn't mean it's 50-50 I Hutchinson one David O2 there's no way the Lions have no need at tackle having taken tackle last year and having Decker as well no need at tackle there and then at three I have Ike Kwanu at three I think there's a little bit of a, a tidbit you can find where Pep Hamilton OC says they're actually thinking about keeping Titus Howard at guard he's naturally a tackle thinking about keeping him at guard I think that means that they're definitely evaluating tackle at number three I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be shocked if they went edge they have needs everywhere but also Jonathan Grenard had a really good season last year got hurt didn't finish it out but it was a really productive season so I think they probably go tackle and I think that is probably Ike Kwanu but I think they're the team that is the most uh, most versatile with how they can treat their their pick where two can't see any way to tackle. It's either it's one of the top three edges, really. And I don't think it's Walker. I think Walker goes one or he goes farther back, three, four, five, something like that. So I think it's pretty much uh, once they have the two picks ahead of them, Texans can take the best player available. I think they have probably the biggest need to tackle, but they have lots or biggest need to tackle, but they have lots of needs everywhere. So I could see them going the next best edge. I have a Quanu uh, in my mock right now. We'll end the show with a bit of quarterback quarterback talk. And Kyle, you talk about a team that has needs everywhere in the Texans. We mentioned earlier in the pod, a team that has needs at maybe literally every position other than tight end is the Atlanta Falcons. And 
we talked before the show, I was just kind of interested in getting your perspective. If you thought what you thought the odds were, basically the Falcons might take the quarterback plunge. They have number eight. Uh, they could maybe trade down, I guess, a team that could definitely use an uh, accumulation of picks just with the sheer breadth of their needs. But I, I don't know. Who wants to take this one first? Is, what, do we give credence to the notion that the Falcons might go quarterback? Or do they just kind of stay the course in the rebuild, like take their lumps with Marcus Mariota this year and just take the best player available? Froton, I'll start with you. What do you think the odds are that the Falcons go quarterback at eight or elsewhere? Sure, we got well. Are elsewhere? Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, especially in the second round, they could do the the Detroit thing where they just best player on the board, as discussed uh, just a little bit earlier. Fifteen percent Wilson, ten percent Hamilton, seven percent Karloftis are the most often mocked players to the Falcons. Um, but why not? I mean, you know, you could sit there and, and wait, take what again, whatever quarterback falls of those top five, potentially four. You know, uh, I know Desmond Ritter had creeped up and, and started getting a little bit of buzz as a potential guy to go to Atlanta at number eight. I don't think that happens, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility if he does slide, you know, all the way down to the second round, which is certainly in play, even though he's generating a little bit of buzz getting up there in the first. Why not? Why not take him? Or if Corral slips, you go and you grab him with the eighth pick in the second round, if that is in fact where they are. So, uh, or they can move up a little bit. So, it won't take as much draft capital to really get up from, you know, eight to possibly that second Detroit pick. Maybe Detroit goes, okay, we've got our QB at 32. They go out and say, hey, we're raffling it off. Who wants it? You know, come and get it. And then you see Atlanta go, all right, you know, we'll, we'll dip a fourth-round pick, whatever it takes to move up seven slots or, uh, excuse me, six slots to get to that pick. And I think that's a very realistic possibility. So I do think they take a QB, but I don't think it goes one. Yeah, I would be relatively surprised they take a quarterback with that spot. They're just, uh, like you said, they kind of just need to take their lumps, dude. Not every, look, there's a lot of teams in the NFL. Every team on average is going to win 500 games. Some will be above and some will be below. (laughs) Falcons are just a below team right now. And there is no way that a single quarterback, unless you get just the explosive, like I'll call it rookie year, Patrick Mahomes, even though technically it was a second year, but unless you get that kind of performance, you're probably not going to get a massive turnaround to a winning team, especially now that Brady's back in the conference. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I think they are maybe at best taking a quarterback in the second or third round. But even then, like, why? Like, the, the hit rates on like the non-first round quarterbacks are so incredibly bland, and you're not getting a ton of great ceiling guys from those spots. That like, take your lumps, take a quarterback in the next quarterback class, which looks like it should be a really good one at the top, and they look like they're picking at the top. So. Yeah, I think the smart thing to do, and what is most likely, is they do not take a, a quarterback. Even, I don't really think anywhere, like first, second, third, you know, if you want to say like four or five, those guys don't really matter in terms of the long-term outlook. So I don't think they take one in the first round. Small chance, still unlikely they go day two. Uh, you, made a great, you made a great point, Kyle, and that's where I was going to go as well after that. You got a couple of excellent quarterbacks. I really like C.J. Stroud and, and Bryce Young next year, uh, both in terms of talent, I love both of them. Pocket presence, Bryce Young, et cetera. Sorry for the cutout. It's all right. But if, I, two things. I could maybe see the Falcons doing the Teddy Bridgewater, Lamar Jackson thing where they trade up to number 32. Because uh, we know there's a huge advantage of taking quarterback of 32 versus 33, where if they pan out, you can do the fifth year team option. But I also think you guys kind of both alluded to this point where how often does a day two quarterback actually pan out? And a lot of times it can like tether you to a player, sometimes it tethers you to a player. So you, you avoid the first round pick because you're like, we don't know if this guy's a first rounder. So we'll just try to take a day two flyer. You still end up treating them like a day one pick anyway, as we've seen like with the Broncos and Drew Locke. It happens like over and over again where they these teams they try to like take the flyer on day two and they just can't help themselves and they still treat them as like a day one pick. And I, I do think the Falcons would be best served by avoiding that altogether and going where, where Froton was going and just kind of aiming for the top of that 2023 quarterback market. Cause unless Arthur Smith is like one of the five or six best coaches in the NFL, this roster is just, I, I don't know how to say it other than repeat that it's just going to have to take its lumps in 2022. Cause it's a bad team. It's an awful roster. Stink for Stroud. Stink for Stroud. There we go. So then one of the options would have been, I don't know why we're going to end the show talking about Matt Corral for some reason. I wanted to talk about him. Not really sure why. It's just one of the most mysterious quarterback classes in recent memory. And I know – like so Matt Corral is 
I feel like he's just as commonly mocked in the top 20 as he is not in the first round. And just what, what is our feeling? Is someone going to bet on his athleticism? Is someone going to bet on his accuracy? Is someone going to bet maybe on his Jimmy Garoppolo quick release? Or what is our best feeling, Kyle? We'll get to you two on this one, Froton. Does Matt Crow go on day one, or does he slide out of the top 32? I think he probably doesn't go on day one. I, I think if he does, it would be to somewhere like the Lions. But again, like that's it's like you perfectly talked about these – so-so quarterbacks, I get why you take flyers on them, but you have to untether yourself from them so quickly. Like we saw this with like even Gardner Minshew was not a highly touted prospect, <laughs> but he plays good for like six games. And like, he's our starter next year. And he looked good enough to be a really good backup. But these guys really hail them as something more than that because you want something to hold on to when you're a bad franchise or at least having unsuc- uh, being unsuccessful at the current uh, you know five to ten year stretch so I don't think that would be the smartest when we know that there's a good class coming and like especially like the Lions like their roster is solid they have a really good offensive line TJ Hawkinson DeAndre Swift are, and, and Amon Ross St. Brown have really made a good top trio of weapons they just need the quarterback and, and does the number 32 pick afford them the quarterback not just a quarterback but the one that's the future I don't think so but I think that would probably be the spot it happens I will say no, though. I don't think I don't think he goes in the first round, Mr. Froton. In terms of the odds for him to be a first round pick, currently he's going at minus one fifty. All right, so the market seemed to think that he will go in the top thirty two. Now with the, the thirty two pick, twelve uh, percent of the mocks out there that have been put out there have Ritter going to Detroit. Eight percent have Corral going there. So. Um, that's the other thing is, you know, if, if Desmond Ritter gets down, while he certainly his accuracy, especially on the short balls, you know, aren't what I'd like to see from Ritter. He was incredible in terms of athleticism. You know, I mean, he ran a four five two. That's the sort of thing we were hoping to see from Malik Willis. And he didn't go and run a 40 yard dash, which is disappointing. Um, so in terms of does he go, he's going to have to battle Ritter. Those two will probably both be there is how things are trending. And if I had to give a yay or nay, I actually like Corral a little bit more than I like Malik Willis. Uh, I don't like Willis. I just think, you know, he's he's always looking around in the pocket. He doesn't reset his feet. He led the nation in both sacks and QB scrambles in 2020 and 2021. He plays in a gimmicky offense. Not to say Corral doesn't. I mean, that's Jeff Levy's offense, and he's just first reads. He doesn't go through his progressions very much. But, again, catchable ball, quick release. You know, battle-tested, SEC quarterback, mobile. He When he got – when he really didn't do well last year was after the Tennessee game when he had to carry the ball 32 times because Lane Kiffin's ego couldn't let him lose to the Volunteers. You know, so he had to go and pummel his quarterback who's 6-1-2-10. So that's – you know, his following three games after that, he could barely walk, so he wasn't as good. So uh, I'm going to go with Corral going in the top 32. Otherwise, if you don't think so, Kyle – Minus 150, no go. Fade on that. I trust, I, I, I believe in Kyle too. He knows what he's doing here, you know, but uh, I, no lay in the, the minus 150 for me in, in any event. It's, it's going to be too close to that 32 mark. Eric, you criticize Matt Corral's one read offense. My rebuttal to that is who has time for a second read in 2022? <laughs> I mean, honestly, our attention spans are so short now. There's a great new social media app every year. I just he doesn't even have time for a second read. We don't want him to have time. Absolutely, Jack year. White's new album is out too, so we have yes. we have to have time to listen to that. We we gotta have time to listen. so Jack White. It's a see. We'll end the show with that. Just he was one of my old heroes. I, sometimes I worry he's getting a case of the Rivers Cuomo's Eric Froton, and uh, where he's just oh, indulging every Cuomo's. whim. He's indulging every whim. He's just sacrificed his lyrics, and we'll talk about this more after we get off the air, but. I do. You'll have to tell me how Jack's new album, Fear of the Dawn, available now is, if it's actually good, Eric. So uh, just great, great stuff today from both Eric and Kyle. Please uh, rate, download. I've never said this. In what, what's the line when you like hawk a podcast, Kyle? Rate, review, subscribe. download, subscribe. subscribe. Smash yeah. that like button. This is on YouTube. Smash yeah, that like. Smash that like button. Thanks. Exactly. Check it out. Thanks so much for joining us. Join us again on Tuesday when I'll be back with Denny Carter, Mr. Matt Strout. We'll be back next week. We're going to have all sorts of excellent draft content. Next week, we'll have all sorts of excellent draft news this week at NBCSportsEdge.com. There's lots of content, too. Articles, blurbs, you name it. Check it out. Stay locked to the site. For Eric, for Kyle, I'm Pat. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you later.
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.